Dear friends, we are happy to welcome you to the roundtable coping with the climatic catastrophe, which is a continuation of the conference Global Crisis. This already affects everyone, which took place on July 24th, 2021. The conference was organized, streamed, and simultaneously interpreted by volunteers into 72 languages. My co-host today is Alina, and together we are honored to welcome the participants of this roundtable. Today we have Mr. Robbie Wells, American politician, candidate for the President of the United States. Douglas Vogt, science writer, researcher, and professional member of the Geological Society of America. Dr. Abdallah Rashid Ahmed, Minister of State for Education at National Institute of Education of the Republic of Maldives. Dr. Vladimir Sivorotkin, Doctor of Geology and Mineralogy, Volcanologist, Leading Researcher of the Department of Petrology and Volcanology. Mr. Inderjit Singh, Aviation Consultant with the International Civil Aviation Organization from India. And Christian Pushkashov, Financial Consultant from Germany. Greetings, everyone. Vital issues were raised at the conference, and today we will touch upon the question that leaves no one indifferent. That is the climatic crisis and its consequences, which already affect our lives. This conference caused a wide response around the globe, so we are happy to announce that a new conference will be held on the 4th of December 2021. Global crisis. Time for the truth expanding on the topic of climate and environmental disasters. Now, before we proceed to our discussion, let us watch a video excerpt from the conference about those drastic climate changes which are already happening on Earth. Summer of 2021, fires, floods, hurricanes, and abnormal heat waves. What is happening to the planet? You are used to hearing that global warming on the planet is due to human activity. The truth is, the problem is much more global than that, and it is rapidly gaining momentum, and there is nothing we can do to control it. The reasons for what is happening are within the planet, which has entered a period of global cataclysms. Nucleus. In 1998, a drastic shift of the planet's core was recorded. After that, the GRACE satellites and instruments on the Earth's surface detected an abnormal expansion of the planet at the equator, as well as heating from the inside. Because of the displacement of the core, it is unbalanced. With its vibrations, it creates shock waves, which are manifested on the surface of the planet by increased earthquakes and cracks on the Earth's surface. Through these cracks, a large volume of water escapes into the bowels of the planet. Molten magma rushes to the surface and heats this water. The water evaporates and escapes into the atmosphere. 
These enormous masses of water fall down in the form of sudden torrential rains. As the planet expanded, new continental rifts began to form. The number of volcanic eruptions increased. Significant tsunamis, including catastrophic ones, tornadoes, tropical storms, and hurricanes became more frequent. Floods and wildfires have become part of the daily news. Since 2015, the situation has become even worse. And today, the deformation of the planet continues to escalate enormously. Earthquakes. Earthquakes with magnitudes greater than 8.5 have increased dramatically over the past 20 years. Since 2003, synchronization of seismic noise began, which means that the Earth is preparing for a mega earthquake. According to scientists, it will occur in the Japanese archipelago and will have a magnitude of more than 10, which is 32 times stronger than the 2011 Tohoku earthquake of magnitude 9. Entire countries could disappear from the face of the Earth at any moment. Volcanoes. Since the beginning of the 20th century, the number of powerful volcanic eruptions has doubled as a result of growing internal energy of the planet. There has also been a steady increase in the strength of eruptions and the amount of ash and lava that has been released. Today, about 600 million people live near active volcanoes, capable of destroying entire cities at any moment. And every day, the probability of these events is only increasing. Glaciers. Greenland and Antarctic glaciers are losing three times more mass than 30 years ago. We are told that global warming is the cause. We are not told that the glaciers are melting from the bottom up because of the intense release of heat from the Earth's interior. For example, Antarctica is only melting on the west side where there is a huge magma chamber. Greenland's glaciers are shrinking for a similar reason. Obviously, man has no influence on what is happening. World Ocean In 2019, the temperature of the world's oceans rose 0.075 degrees Celsius above average. This may not seem much, but in fact, the numbers are catastrophic. The energy for such heating is equivalent to the explosion of three and a half billion atomic bombs dropped on Hiroshima. And this energy came from the very bowels of the Earth. Melting of the sea ice and expansion of the warming water has caused the sea level to rise by almost 15 centimeters in the last 30 years. And this is just the beginning. There has also been an increase in the number and power of storms, as well as a significant acceleration of currents. Hurricanes, tornadoes. The year of 2020 broke all records for the frequency of hurricanes and tropical cyclones on the planet for all time. Because of increasing humidity and rising temperatures, the intensity and number of tornadoes has increased. They have become more frequent where they used to be rare. Since the 1950s, the number of tornadoes in Europe has increased tenfold and continues to grow. 
freaking destroyed, Josie. Temperature anomalies and records. According to the data prepared for the IPCC report on climate change, over the past 140 years, the average temperature on the planet has risen by one degree Celsius and by three degrees Celsius in the Arctic. And we can already see the catastrophic consequences right outside the window. The period since 2000 has accounted for 19 of the 20 hottest years on the planet in the history of meteorological observations. Floods. Floods are one of the most common natural disasters that are also growing in strength. 60 years ago, only eight major floods were recorded per year. However, in 2020, this number increased by 25 times and totaled 201 cases. Moreover, they began to occur synchronously, affecting several countries at once. According to the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, NOAA, the number of floods in the U.S. has increased by approximately 100% over the past 30 years. Between 1998 and 2017, floods affected more than 2 billion people worldwide. There's so many people dead! Dear viewers, this was a fragment of the video depicting recent climatic disasters in the real scale. The full video can be seen in the conference. Please don't hesitate to find it on YouTube in your language. We would like to stress that this is only a fraction of the catastrophes happening on our planet. This information is shocking and scary to some extent, but these are true facts which need to be voiced. This information presented at the conference was meant to help us to make a conscious choice. These are inevitable events. They don't happen in a specific country. They happen everywhere. This is a reality that affects all parts of our planet. It's obvious that no single country can cope with such a level of challenges alone. We need to unite our potential in the format of the creative society. Now, I would like to ask our guests to share their impression of the conference, Global Crisis. This already affects everyone. Dr. Sivaratkin, it's my pleasure to address this question to you. Ну, конференция произвела хорошее впечатление. Mr. Siverinkin, yes, the conference has made a deep impression. I already mentioned in the conference that we have to fight for the truth. And it was so joyful that so many countries and a great number of people, a great number of scientists, 
actually joined and uh, it's so joyful that these are the scientists who study the earth as a total as, as something whole but some meteorologists as we know they are like physicians or dermatologists that study only the skin but do not trace this processes which are in the whole organisms and they this way try to explain the complexity of the organism this is funny because contemporary meteorology is the science which does not consider the planet earth as a whole but now i can see that such a community from the very first words we started listening about this and it's the main thing that we already hear that the cause of this troubles is the entire personal uh, its own life of our planet something is happening inside the planet but it happens under the influence of some external factors we know one of them this is gravitational or corpuscular flows from the galaxy or solar radiation and gravitation influences of the neighboring planets so this is the spectrum which actually can influence us but there are also not quite evident processes which are happening in the earth's core and there are about 15 hypotheses about the structure of our core so basically this is here we, uh, this is where we need to dig and understand comprehensively and the main important thing is sociological and psychological one is that we need to see people we need to persuade people to not to spend billions of dollars on this you know idea on illusion with the co2 because co2 is what our planet lacks nowadays i can see this main point the mortality of our on our planet is cardiovascular diseases if we had more co2 they wouldn't have uh, we wouldn't have such a situation millions and millions of people were not be sick and were not die of strokes or infarctions so why do we how do we say ourselves from these attacks we try to hold our breath in order not to inhale co2 because but if there was co2 around we would not do this so basically we need to emphasize that uh, and even professor Ranaski used to say that there is a low content of co2 but i would say that salvation from climatic changes will be quite substantial if the planet stops you know if people on the planet stop and stop searching for co2 illusion but they focus on studying the processes within the earth's core and also the external processes which model the behavior of our planet this way we'll find ways out first of all we need forecasts very precise forecasts and from here there will plan the ability opportunities for evacuation which is very important and of course or construction because for example we have space maps and all our construction rules are built on where we put uh, some administrative uh, buildings and places to for people to live where we cannot for forecast what will happen in time we have to follow the the path of seismologists and forecast and 
pending catastrophe in some area. This is what I took uh, from the conference of the 24th of July. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Severtkin, for outlining these important issues. And it is true that um, we uh, have to have a multidisciplinary approach to um, uh, understand what is happening and how to fix problems and uh, not uh, just concentrate on one thing. This has this is not confined to any particular part of the world, and uh, today with the kind of uh, global connectivity that we have around the world, I mean, when I say today, meaning leaving aside these few days or one year where we lost the connectivity in a very big way, the physical connectivity part of it, whatever happens in one part of the world does affect the entire world. Because to me, and especially in context of uh, what I work for, the aviation, uh, anything that happens in one location has a cascading effect around the world. I mean, uh, from climate point of view, if you recall what happened in Iceland a few years back when we had these volcanic ash, uh, it happened in Iceland. It affected the Europe area only, that particular region. But then it had an after effect all around the world because in today's world, if we were to say every country is a link <clears throat> and this entire, these links go and form a global chain. And as it's always said that the, the weakness of the chain or the strength of the chain is in the weakest link. So when we look at it from... And, and that, I guess, uh, holds good for any industry and uh, especially in aviation, that anything that happens in one location goes and affects the entire world. Now, let's say a pandemic, for instance, I mean, the current one. Uh, earlier, if you recall, we had, uh, it's not something very, very new. It's been there. Of course, this is in a very large proportion that it's come this time. Uh, we had SARS and MERS and Ebola, but they were confined to certain regions of the world. So there was time and means to arrest it there and then. But what has happened now, for instance, is something that is spread all over. So I, I fully endorse this view that we have to think not at a local level or at a region level or at a country level, but we have to understand the situation at a global level and find a solution at a global level. I mean, it's not possible for any one of us in any industry, for that matter, to confine ourselves at a local level or at country level or at a region level. Um, and this, there are umpteen number of situations like 9-11 uh, was one, for instance. It, it hurt uh, United States in a very big way. But then the, the cascading effect of it was that the entire aviation infrastructure around the world got affected. And uh, there was a time when people thought that aviation is doomed. I mean, it will never come back. But uh, I, I somehow happen to be somebody who is very positive, And I always feel that the harder we fall, the higher we bounce. So if we could come out from a situation like uh, uh, clouds, uh, the volcanic clouds in Iceland or 9-11, for instance, uh, there is no way that we should say that... Uh, 
uh, this uh, this pandemic is going to hold us for a very very long time because uh, for us humanity the world is permanent or it is uh, th- this uh, this pandemic like situations are finite they have a span of time but for us the humanity the world your creative society and all is infinite in its scope so yes i i fully agree that uh, we can't possibly uh, work in a fragmented way in different parts of the world uh, we have to be collective it has to be a collective and a united effort yes Thank you, Mr. Singh. Thank you very much for pointing out how important it is to unite today. Also, the reason why we organize these conferences is to speak up about the emergency of the situation and the emergency to unite people today. And uh, I would like now to ask Mr. Wells, what do you think of the conference and how important, in your opinion, is it to, to convey truthful information on the actual scale and progression of climatic disasters worldwide? Well, Alina, thank you very much for your question. And this conference is very important because it uh, gets the message out, not just in one country, but in Uh, numerous countries around the globe because we are facing a problem that is global. Uh, this problem that we are facing right here uh, is one that if, if we do not take great steps, we're, we're going to run out of time. So, uh, you know, this conference that, uh, that we're involved with here uh, is definitely a step in the right direction to make sure that the people around the world are educated, and that they understand and that we can move in the right direction. The first step to solving a problem is admitting that there is a problem and uh, getting the entire globe to understand that we have a problem is that first step in admitting that we have the problem so that we can move forward in finding a solution and then taking steps in order to rectify the situation. So uh, this conference is exactly what needs to happen for the entire globe. Thank you. Yes. Uh, thank you, Mr. Wells. And uh, it's true that the first step in uh, uh, moving somewhere is just acknowledging that uh, there is a problem and uh, we uh, have to solve it. And um, let's now move to the next uh, question. and. As we have seen, our planet is undergoing serious climatic challenges, especially those related to natural catastrophes, uh, such as floods, earthquakes, tornadoes. Looking at this sad reality of how people in different countries cope with uh, them leads us to conclude that our humanity cannot manage such challenges adequately. Even the uh, <clears throat> so-called wealthy and relatively stable countries encounter climatic catastrophes, they cannot cope with, uh, with them. People still suffer and lose their houses, families, and lives. Well, well, well you're exactly right. Yeah. You're, you're, you're exactly right, Alexei. There, there is no discrimination uh, when it comes to this global problem that we have. It doesn't matter how rich a country is or how poor a country is, uh, uh, this is a problem that's going to affect all of us. You're not going to be able to buy your way out of this problem per se, 
But the only way that I can truly see us overcoming this is to get people from around the globe to actually come together. You know, if you look at, at, the, at the world over the history of our world, we've had uh, allies, we've had adversaries, and I've seen adversaries become allies when they can find a common goal to actually identify and start working on. This is that common goal where we can take some adversaries and actually bring them all together where we all work together for one common cause and truly build some unity around the globe. Yes, it is true that, uh, you know, everyone uh, will be uh, uh, equal in front of uh, the disasters, no matter how uh, thick is your wallet and where do you live. Uh, I mean, once uh, the disaster comes, we, uh, we should be united uh, to withstand all this. And, uh, well, speaking about why should we worry about uh, the serious extent of climatic disasters and uh, are we able today to uh, cope with them or not. We, uh, I would like to ask uh, Dr. Sivertkin uh, what is his opinion on that? Well, if we talk about some disasters, we can cope with them for sure, but we cannot cope with others. For example, like I said at my speech during the conference, I deal with the ozone layer problem. The ozone is depleting because of the hydrogen discharges and the decaization is what is measured from the uh, mid middle oceanal areas. This is such a planetary scale that basically no physical, real, technical fight on behalf of people with that cannot be possible. We cannot imagine such fight. Just imagine a, a planet is cracking into halves. How can we cope with that? But there are things which we can actually approach and we are closer to them. I can say that in China, for example, in order to uh, to deliver water to the Tibet where they lack water, they already covered uh, thousands of kilometers of water supply tubes and they deliver water to southern kilometers across the country. So the technical might is right very high. So if we join together all the money, all the funds, which, for example, they want to spend on this, like, like for example, to uh, deliver hydrogen from one part of the planet to another and to deliver CO2 from one part planet to another, this would be kind of, you know, these processes would be kind of possible if we get together with our common sense and understand the true causes of the processes and try to convey this information to major part of the planet's population, then we will have some technical solutions. I think that uh, we already discussed it and there are some examples like in, in um, the Netherlands, the country is living in a place which is lowering, it is actually drowning, but it's one of the prosperous countries in agriculture, it, it is ahead of Russia by 10 times, although they are living in such a 
small area of land which is actually going down and is always under the risk of flooding. But basically this is one of the optimistic examples. Venice is also a very, you know, interesting example in Italy. In England there are also places where there are tectonic uh, uh, descending and we cannot do anything about this we cannot slow down these processes but still the technical uh, might of humanity can do it because we see how the Italians protected their part of the Venice and how in uh, the Dutch coped with their problem but in our country it's a little bit different but they are destroying everything because it's not quite reasonable measures what we take so there are different approaches but we have to remove immediately remove you know this destructive should, uh, we should uh, look at what we actually there are things we, that we cannot predict but if we cannot do something and cannot predict it we have the only thing is to pray but basically in some situations where millions of people can die, humanity can cope with that. For example, a tsunami or an earthquake. You remember in December there was a terrible tsunami in 2004, but if this communication system was uh, more up-to-date, probably 300,000 people would not die because for elephants just ran away. They, none of them died and on, in that year. So we can look for some reasonable, realistic ways of survival. If there are some things when we can just pray, but we can at least look for ways where we can help each other, because there are still many areas where we uh, don't have experience now. Let's take an example of Japan, where 140 million people live on the islands, where there are natural disasters all the time. They have earthquakes and people are kind of, you know, they, they still live there. They have up-to-date communication and alarm systems about tsunamis, about earthquakes. And children in Japan are being uh, taught from the very beginning to behave in a proper way in such a tough conditions. And we have, but in other parts where the same situation is threatened already now, Children and people are not being taught to do this, so we have now to collect the technical conditions, the technical potential, all the opportunities and all experiences. We need to unite the scientific level all together and uh, we'll try to cope with that. That's what thank I would say right much. now. Thank you, Dr. Sivarotkin, and thank you for participating in the conference Global Crisis and in today's roundtable. And uh, really, we, you are like a role model of scientists who are not afraid to speak up and to tell the truth. And, you know, without telling the truth now, we cannot uh, proceed. As Mr. Wells mentioned today, to cope with the climatic crisis, we should first be aware of it. So my next question will be uh, for Mr. Watts. In your opinion, how misleading and dangerous is it to withhold truthful information on the climate from people? Do you think that to come up with the best solution, world society should be aware of the real reasons behind climate change and its true scale? And what are the real reasons for the climate crisis? Please share your opinion, Mr. Ward.
Um, Douglas, uh, this question is for you. Hi, can you hear me okay? Yeah, yeah, we yeah, do. We do. Oh, good. Um, <clears throat> the, the problem here is this. All of you are basically describing what's been happening on the earth for uh, probably 30 years or so, where it's been pretty obvious that the climate goes up and down based to the sunspot cycle. So the question is, is then what's causing this increase and decrease in the output of the sun and also increase in earthquakes and things like that that's going on at the same time? To, to you, all of you, it's kind of a mystery what's going on. The, what's, what's going on is basically a, um, a clock cycle that runs through time. I've been studying this subject. I'm a member of the Geological Society of America and a geologist. And when I went to school, they never taught us anything about this stuff. And all we knew is that there was an ice age that happens immediately after a, a geomagnetic or polar re reversal. And with carbon-14 dating, I clocked it back all the way to six cycles back. There was carbon-14 dating. There was an ice age every time. So in order to have an ice age, you're going to have a corresponding amount of calories of heat to evaporate that much ocean water to be dropped on the land in snow and eventually compresses down to glacial ice. That's chemistry 101. So what happened was... The last Gleisberg cycle was about December of 57, and it was huge. I mean, we had sunspot cycles over um, 340, 350 sunspot cycles in December of that year over a stretch of four, four or five days. It was shocking to most of the nations. All the nations except for China joined that geophysical year that year. And within three or four months, the U.S. created NASA. The reason why NASA was created was to go to the moon and look at an environment that was untouched by wind and rain and see if the evidence was there that our sun novas, because they knew where they were looking for the missing heat. Now, what I'm telling you now, and what I, I cover in the, on YouTube and Diehl Foundation, it was the greatest secret the country had. The only ones who know what I've presented and telling you was the Defense Department, the CIA, and NASA. That's the only ones who know it. Even Homeland Security did not know it until they contacted me. So what we're looking at is a clock cycle. In 1989, I found and discovered the clock cycle. I found six blank periods of space where there was no stars visible uh, for about 970-some-odd light years. But four of the, of the six, going from the beginning of a blank period to the beginning of the next, was 12,068 light years, or in essence, 12,068 years. And four of those were that. They correspond with the six ice ages we have on the, on the Earth, as well as four of them were correlated with increase in volcanic activity. What you're all looking for, all geologists are looking for, is the cause. What's the cause and effect? What's going on? And this is it. The universe is the product of information. As far as I know, I'm the first person in this cycle of history that developed an information theory of existence, that the universe is the product of information, 
Matter is, crea uh, is created by the information that creates it. So that's why all those stars, the stars are out there, but how come you don't see them? Because they know of it. And the dust shell, if the star is the smaller than the sun, our sun may be twice the size, the dust shell conceals it. They're originally called Bach globulars. Now they're euphemistically called planetary nebula. It's a star that had Nova, period. That's what's happening now. The next Gleisberg cycle is between September and December 2046. And the Torah actually gives an exact date of October 16th, as explained in, in my videos. What you're seeing now is, here's Electronics 101. When you have a collapsing magnetic field, it creates voltage 90 degrees out of phase from it. So as these multiple clock cycles, which are carrier wave that carries information, as it collapses, it creates extra energy, not only inside the Earth, but inside the sun. So when it deals with the sun, the events that happened beforehand, the sun's output is going to increase. It's already changed color from yellow to white. And the five things that describe solar output, they've all increased. Solar wind, uh, sea surface temperature is the best thing to, to, to describe or uh, judge solar output is sea surface temperature. <laughs> that has increased. In fact, the last sunspot cycle, the one before, the, uh, the uh, Pacific Ocean rose about three or four degrees. That's a lot. And then it goes down again during sunspot minimum. This is like the first year into solar cycle 25. If you think it's bad now, wait. It's going to get a lot worse. But it has nothing to do with mankind. This is happening also on Mars and Jupiter and Uranus, all the planets. It has nothing to do with people at all. It has to do with solar output. Now, what's going on? Why do we have an increase in volcanoes and earthquakes? Same thing. What's going on in the center of the sun is the same thing going on in the center of the earth. It's not a, a, an iron core. That's got to be the easiest thing in the world to prove. There cannot be an, an iron core in the center of this earth. Uh, just by the simple reason of the DEF1 and F2 layers in, in the ionosphere, those are, those are radio uh, uh, amplitudes that could be only be produced by something in the center of the earth, like a center modulation point. So as this collapses, it increases heat in the center of the earth. And it goes to the inner mantle, outer mantle. Then, so you have this crust that's between 30 and 50 miles deep, 60 maybe, and it's going to be more viscous. So you can have something as simple as the sun and the moon on the same side of the earth, and all of a sudden you have an earthquake. A couple of geologists have noticed the relationship between the sun and moon location, how much water was on the surface of the earth at that place, and you get earthquakes. And China's getting earthquakes because it's got a lot of water. It's a different weight on those plates. And that, that's what's going on. That's the real mechanism going on here. It's not going to get better. It's going to get worse. But it has nothing to do with mankind. The governments are doing it, like the American government and the, probably the Europeans, is because they don't want to scare the general public. That's the reason why it's going on now. And it'll be true for the governments that don't know about this stuff. I'm sure the Russians know part of this stuff because they had a space program. They landed on the, on the moon. And they also landed on, Mar on, on Venus. 
So the point being is governments keep this thing secret because they don't want to create public panic. I don't want to create public panic either. I had debated either whether it was going to be on this show or the earlier one, the big one, because do I really want to do that? As it is, I have to eventually work with the U.S. government, just like many of you are going to have to work with your government. This is not a pretty picture. When this thing happens, you can't be in the northern latitudes because you'll be buried with a great deal of ice and snow. You won't be able to get out of any caves or anything like that. You have to get closer to the equator. Otherwise, you're not going to survive it. I mean, you'll be able to survive the Nova and the ocean rushing over you. Even though I don't think the Atlantic is ever going to reach Siberia or China. It's just the Atlantic isn't that big. It's not going to get there. But um, you're going to get you're going to have a chance to see the Nova and you're going to get it. Europe is going to get an instant ice age and stuff like that. I explain that in video series four, parts five, uh, if you want to look to it. But the point is, is this is the problem you're in. If you want to organize things, it's really a question of the European countries organizing and deciding where in Africa or Australia for the for for. If you're in India, one of the gentlemen in India, they survived it there, probably because southern India, and you don't have money. The oceans on both sides of you are not all that great and big, so you can survive that in caves. All the survivors were basically in caves. I, I, uh, video series five, part one, I go through all the videos, uh, all the uh, legends I had in my first book, Reality Revealed, which is, it was 44 years ago, 1977. I had figured this whole thing out that many years ago. So, and the government knows it and they know about me and it's, it's an interesting relationship, but they never take me off of YouTube. Uh, but that's what now all of you are faced. Uh, no matter what country you're in, you're in the same boat. Uh, there's no place on this planet you can escape this thing. You have to build, survive it. It's just gonna get more and more worse. This next Gleisberg uh, uh, sunspot cycle should be in about five years, six years maximum. And you'll see ocean water maybe going up maybe six degrees, maybe seven degrees. You'll, you'll have more hurricanes, more tornadoes. Can't get away from it. It all goes back to sea surface temperature. You look at that and you'll know what's going to happen. That's a question. It's a, it's a crapshoot whether you're going to get the tornado or the typhoon or the guy next door is going to. See my point? Now, a lot of what I say is a shock to a lot of people. Um, even the federal government, it was a shock to know how big this disaster was. They built, they spent over $21 trillion in building these shelters. And they just found out because of my video series four, they built them in the wrong place. That's, that's the problem. That's why they I had this contest. DARPA had a contest on um, solely autonomous robots to go through a cave system like a human couldn't do it better. And that's what happened. They knew they had really screwed up. And I've been in correspondence with somebody in the Defense Department. They know it, and that's where it sits right now. The foundation right now is involved in really designing the door system to be on a cave, on a cave door so the ocean pressure won't collapse it and the heat from the Nova won't melt it which we think we can solve. That's, that's it's the stage uh, we at the United States and the Diehl Foundation is at right now. 
Whether the rest of the world is going to, are going to be permitted to know about it, I don't know. My videos are all in English, and it probably limits how many people can actually watch it and understand what I'm saying. Do you have any more questions? Thank you very much. Yes, thank uh, you. Thank you, Mr. Vogt. Yeah. And actually, what know, we see, uh, sorry, Alex, just uh, to interrupt you, what we see now is that we need first to unite all our scientific potential, to unite humanity, to look for safe territories according to the scientific predictions, and to build their shelters for people in order to be ready to migrate people and to help the humanity. And this all sounds like an emergency. This is what I understand for all the information you heard. And I also understand that uh, this uh, is a scary information. This is why it's being uh, held behind people. But if we don't accept the truth, we won't be able to act and to survive. So this is uh, the importance of this information for the people. And thank you um, for your participation today, for your opinion. And thanks to all participants of the project uh, Creative Society to uh, make all possible and impossible to bring this information to be people in order to uh, help survival of the whole humanity. Thank you so much, and I pass the floor to Alex. Can we ask Dr. Ahmed Rashid uh, about this? Um, I will repeat the question once again. Okay. Okay, so, and, uh, uh, you know, um, so in view of uh, global climatic changes and the fact that so many uh, people are deprived of their homes, how important is it for all countries, for all people to unite efforts and consolidate scientific potential to survive this period of global cataclysms. Dr. Ahmed Rashid, uh, okay. this question is for you. Okay, thank you, Alexi. Uh, as other, other speakers have mentioned that it is very important to unite uh, everyone because uh, climate catastrophes are not for any specific country. The action of every individual and action of any, any country has an impact to the whole world. Therefore, as one of the previous speaker has mentioned that uh, we have to think uh, globally, but we have to act locally. And when, when, when we talk about when, or when we define it, the locally means uh, I can say e even individually, we have to act upon every, every, every citizen should be a responsible citizen. And by looking at the conference, by looking at the video just now, we all know it is really alarming. Even right now, if you look at international news, uh, there, there is fire in Turkey and many people died and many, many, many people are, are homeless and under the sandstorm uh, in China and many, many countries even right now, uh, we can see the impact of global change and uh, climate catastrophes. Therefore, uniting people is very important. Uh, the conference you have organized is really important, and all the uh, speeches uh, you have translated to the seven, more than 70 languages, definitely that reached to a large audience. Uh, creating uh, uh, awareness is very important. Uh, many people are irresponsible because they really don't know. I'm sure that people really have an idea that our actions has an impact to the whole world, uh, then everybody will, will be a responsible uh, a person to his, his or her own action, 
or the action of the families, action of the societies, action of the countries. Therefore, uh, according to my understanding and my perception, everybody should join hands together. If every country is working in the same goal, uh, especially the UN uh, Sustainable Development Goals, uh, if we all try uh, to fight against the climate change, achieving US Sustainable Goals, and uh, try to mitigate, we, we know some of these catastrophes, we can't stop it, we can't avoid it, but we can mitigate the loss uh, or the consequence of this. So uh, to conclude, I can say it is very important to unite all the countries, the societies, everyone. We all believe that oh, this is, uh, we all take the responsibility and we all should work together uh, to mitigate the uh, negative impact of the uh, climate change. Thank you. And uh, now I would like to ask uh, uh, Mr. Wells, uh, what, in your opinion, is the crucial role of uh, unity needed uh, to go through these global, uh, these global threats, uh, which we have mentioned before? Can any country alone deal with such a crisis, or do we need uh, unification and strong international cooperation on all levels to cope with it? And uh, how important is it for people to unite? Well, it is very important to unite. And, uh, you know, with my coaching background, um, there's been several games where at halftime we were down by a significant amount of points. And I always, you know, talked to the individuals uh, before we went, went back out for the second half and said, look, we're not guaranteed success. But if we don't work together, we're guaranteed failure. And failure is not going to be something that we're just going to stand down and bow down to. Therefore, we have to work together uh, with whatever the problem is. And, and this uh, is a major problem that's going to be facing uh, the globe. But uh, it's not something that, that uh, we should take lightly. And uh, it's really not something that uh, should be hidden from the people. I understand uh, what the other panelists were saying as far as uh, causing global panic. Yes, it could cause global panic, but it's got to be released and, and the message has to be crafted in such a way that we can spoon feed uh, uh, the global population with what is actually happening. So over a period of time before uh, uh, the catastrophe, the major catastrophe happens where millions of people could lose their lives. We've, we've already taken uh, some steps that, that hopefully uh, can, can ensure that life goes on. Yes, thank you. Thank you for your answer. And it is uh, true that um, to, uh, I mean, we cannot withhold uh, information just by fears that it will cause panic, but uh, People uh, letting people not knowing uh, without knowing what is happening is definitely uh, not uh, an option. Right. And um, yeah, it is also obvious that a modern world society cannot guarantee the safety of uh, people's lives. And uh, it is well, Ale clear. Alexi, yeah? Alexi, here's something else that I will say. Um, I've always tried to surround myself with, with people that are considered to be experts in their field. And uh, it makes me, as, as a person in a leadership position, uh, a better leader because I've got people in different areas that are experts. 
And when it comes to, to, to geology, when it comes to the atmosphere, when it comes to science, we should listen to the scientists. We heard the same exact thing with the pandemic uh, by, by uh, a lot of our leaders. Listen to the scientists. Listen to what they are saying. Uh, they're not in it for any political reasons. They're trying to help save humanity. And uh, this is just another way that we're going to have to overcome uh, problems. And, and this won't be the last problem that we have in, on, on planet Earth. There's going to be more. But understand this. We, we've got one planet. There is no planet B that we can go running to. So we've got to find a way uh, to continue here on planet Earth because this is our home. And, uh, and we've got to do this, not just for us and the people that are living now, but for generations to come for the sake of our children and our children's children. Yes, this is definitely true, uh, what you are saying, and uh, that uh, scientists, uh, they really should be uh, driven by, uh, not by money, not by fame, but uh, by um, uh, the will to help others. And clearly, in our consumerist society, where all decisions are being made solely in the name of uh, maximizing profit, uh, this is not happening, because Profit and money are the core being the core values uh, just leads us to uh, such tragic outcomes. And could we solve this? Um, I mean, these the issues we have by changing the format of society itself from a consumerist one to a creative society where human life is the highest value. And uh, do you think this will help us to go uh, through all the crises I would like to uh, ask Christian from uh, Germany this question. What do you think about it? Yes, thank you very much, Alexane. Uh, deep gratitude from my side to all the speakers and all the scientists having the courage to speak up and to really voice the truth. Um, indeed, we have to look where do we live. We live in a consumerist society. Our priorities today, everywhere around the world, in all countries, it's power, It's profit, it's consumption. And where is human life? Isn't human life the highest value on this planet? Isn't human life worth of being protected, served, really guaranteed on this planet? And we're talking now about uh, emergency plans, yeah? how we can really save the people. And we're not talking about one or two people. We're talking about millions, billions of people. How, how can we really save them? Because every person counts, really. Every human life counts. And I would just go one step back to understand where we are actually starting now today. Even in Europe, in developed countries, yeah? even today, before this unprecedented climatic catastrophe in, let's call them normal conditions, although they're not really normal, but let's say still before the big climatic apocalypse will come. We still have slavery and slave-like labor conditions in Europe, let's say in Spain or Italy, that people toil there in agriculture, illegal migrants, so that we have cheap fruit and vegetables in the supermarkets here in Germany or Ireland. This is really outrageous. People just don't know what's really happening. And we're not talking only about Uh, blue-collar workers, also white-collar workers, let's say in investment banking or consulting, people are dying at work because of exhaustion, because they're psychologically abused, because they take drugs, medicine, somehow to cope with their work. I mean, we have a format today where we just exploit people. Human life doesn't really matter anyway. 
we have just to be really honest to ourselves and stop being naive and rely on the United Nations Charter of Human Rights and the national constitutions and so on. We have to be honest. This is the format where we're living. And I was just talking now about some problems here in the so-called developed countries, you know, where apparently, you know, the, the, there is money and there are funds and there is a sort of organization. And this is actually really a shame. Okay. Where does this come from? This just as you said, Alexei, we have this consumerist mindset in everything that we do. It's about me, myself, and I, you know, at the level of a human being, at the level of a community, at the level of a country or corporation. It's just about, you know, struggling for, for the self-centeredness somehow. And the only solution to get out of this is to really unite, to have a creative society where we put human life first. This is the only way that we can cope with disasters. When we look at how countries deal today with natural catastrophes, this is also preposterous, really. I mean, we had the example in the United States of the Hurricane Katrina, right? So many people just being left behind for which reasons, right? It's somehow about race, religion, all those labels that we tend to give so much importance to, right? Uh, we look at what happened in Haiti in 2011. It, it's really absurd that more people died after the earthquake because of the humanitarian crisis, not because of the earthquake itself. So this is something that's our job, you know, to really take care of the people. But we take care somehow of, of corruption, of personal interest, of power, because this is the mantra today in, in business and finance. I'm a financial consultant. I studied economics at university. And this is what students are being told. We have to maximize profits. We have to maximize shareholder value because the prototype today in economy is the so-called homo economicus. So uh, the, the rational, somehow rational consumer, the rational human being, which is not a human being. He's actually a greedy animal, a robot, a program not being able to love, feel, or actually think about consequences. It's just like, you know, a, a greedy pig somehow to consume. <laughs> Sorry for the language. But this is actually the foundation of the today's economy, of today's society. And how can we wonder that we have this way of dealing with natural catastrophes? Even here in Germany, some, some two, three weeks ago, we had those very big floods. And people were somehow shocked. Oh, can't happen here in a developed country, really? I've talked to friends from other continents that were like, wow, really? Can it happen? Well, yes, it can happen everywhere because nature doesn't take into account our social status, race, religion, whatsoever of these labels. We're all equal in front of God and in front of the natural catastrophes that are about to come. And who can we rely on? I mean, the German government unbureaucratically will give 1,500 euros to each person. But you know, that's the minimum wage here. You cannot do much with that money. I was just reading today that affected regions will need 10 billion euros to reconstruct infrastructure, homes. This is really a big amount of money. And if we look where we are today, we're actually today in the economy in front of the worst global economic crisis that we ever had. It's not only me saying this. We have leading economists warning about this. In one, two, three years' time, it's a matter of when, not if, it's just when, we will have everything implode. This entire house of cards will just implode. This is our financial economic system. And it's just because of this greed. It's just because of this consumer's format. People, we have to wake up, really. We have to, we have to wake up and put aside all this pridefulness, all this stupidity, all this foolishness, yeah? Pursuing this, this profit and putting profit before people. 
We need a creative society. We need a society where human life is a top priority. Human life, human health, the human environment where we live, just as, um, as Mr. Wells said, you know, this is our only planet. This is just one planet. There's no planet B. Unfortunately, you have this planet A. We have to take care of it. And actually, we can take care of it when we start taking care of the people in the first place. We have to take care of the people in this creative society. And yes, we can do this. I'm asked so many times, how can we do this creative society where all the people will enjoy the same benefits or all the people will enjoy free healthcare, free education? Is this possible worldwide? Well, yes, it is. It is. If you just do the mathematics and you correct for all the, the loopholes that we have today in, in tax systems, in the inflation, in, in the totally unnecessary industries or professions that we have nowadays, if you correct all this, but to correct all this, we need this framework. We, we need this mindset of the creative society, not just in one country. We don't need it in Germany or in USA or in Thailand. We need it really everywhere. So that we work together as one big family and we can coordinate. If you look today at how many resources are just wasted, yeah, I mean, Mr. Falk talked about trillions of dollars wasted on nothing because of, again, personal interest, power, profit. We actually have so many resources, and the most important resource are we people. If we unite in this idea, in this project, and that creative society is not only a nice to have, it's a must have. It's an urgent need that we have to implement to save ourselves and to save our planet. Yes, it is possible. There are lots of conferences, videos, interviews on a lot of nights, on a lot of TV. Everything is there. And yes, we can and we have to implement this creative society. It's my strong move. Thank you. Thank you so much, Christian. Thank you. And you're absolutely right that the changes, they begin from the change of the mindset. And therefore, I would like to thank each and every of you, dear guests of today's roundtable, for being this part of the voice of the truth and bringing these understandings which could really uh, change the mindset of people. And thank you, dear viewers, for staying with us today. We continue our roundtable. And I would like to ask all of you one question. It's about the importance of conferences and roundtables like this. How important are they from your point of view? How important is to involve more people to uh, the process of bringing truth to to the humanity and building these ties of mutual understanding, uniting people around one common goal, which is the creative society. And I would like to pass the floor to Mr. Singh, please. Sure. Uh, thank you, Elena. Thank you very much. Uh, creative society, what's perhaps the most important and the striking part of it is that you have put human being at the core of the entire system. Because everything like Christian very nicely points, pointed out that in this rat race for economy and making more and more trillions and saying we are the largest economy in the world, we are chasing money, but we have left the human being at the back seat. So I think uh, Creative Society and through your conferences, you have, you have sent the message home that behind all this economy and productivity and prosperity that we are talking is just one entity and that's human being. 
So if we start valuing human being as an entity, as one thing, and that human being makes the humanity at large. So I think the, the, the biggest takeaway from uh, these conferences and that your efforts are through your uh, um, eight uh, foundations of, uh, of this uh, major venture that you are into it and you are bringing the whole world into the fold is emphasizing on human and humanity. I think that, that that's the biggest message and the rest follows. Thank you. Thank you so much, Mr. Singh. It's very inspiring. And I would like to pass the floor to Dr. Ahmed. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Elena. Uh, it is very important to involve uh, more people and also bring in views from different parts of the world and make it hard uh, to a wider uh, or larger audience. Then uh, the more people are aware uh, their thinking will change. When, when their thinking is changed, their behavior will change. Uh, therefore, uh, creating awareness is the most important uh, to mitigate the negative impact of uh, climate change. And as, as Mr. Singh has mentioned, Creative Society is doing really good, uh, bringing a lot of awareness through uh, interviews from different people from different corners of the world. And organizing uh, conferences and inviting people from uh, different fields and different disciplines and make our audience hard about the views, experience, perceptions of different people. So that will make people think about uh, this problem uh, seriously. So I can say that it is very important to involve more people and get perceptions from different people and their opinions that will make a difference. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Ahmed. And you're absolutely right. It's such a hot topic. And there are so many things to be done in order to fulfill our common goal. And I would like now to pass the floor to Dr. Sivarotkin. Dr. Sivarotkin, please, the floor is yours. I liked what, what the person said from the Maldives in the, in the previous speech, that we should think globally and act locally. This mechanism and this appeal, let's unite, it's somehow hands in the air. But if we actually, thanks to this conference, thanks to these roundtables, if we actually unite, let's say, our brains, our thoughts, our ideas, we don't let them die. Uh, what does it mean to think globally? Uh, let's understand the essence of the real essence, true essence, which not depend on commercial interests, the essence of natural disasters. But not uh, uh, about the entire planet at once. Let's not shout that um, the planet will uh, go to the abyss soon. Let's uh, discuss the threats together. There are uh, certain threats. Global warming, glaciers are melting. Even though we, we say that um, the worms comes inside the earth, even if it's carbon dioxide, let's uh, actually find these points on the planet where there are threats. And together as a community, we 
will uh, go to the national government, we will go to the higher level, we will have a conversation. The world is um, from the state, and there are in each state there are certain rules, established structures, and there are, can be some different interests. For example, there can be firemen, submarines, uh, Diff those people who learned to fight with the forces of nature and um, we shouldn't we should just um, understand together the global truth either to explain either to force someone globally on the level of the state we should discuss discuss that we have such ecological prob problem Let's advise with Japanese people. For example, there was a, in Holland there was an example that I will repeat again this thought um, that we should act locally. And our conference is actually such a mechanism of our common. Uh, Thank communication. you so much, Dr. Sivarotkin. And uh, really, you know that uh, it's so important now to act locally, to address each other. The question is, how much time do we have? Uh, when we look at what is happening today with climatic disasters, it looks that uh, their speed is uh, higher than our reaction is. So basically, the question which we can discuss at our next round tables is, uh, could be how we can speed up also our actions, our unity, because this is, it looks to be also a question of time. And um, thank you so much for your opinion. I would like to pass the floor to Mr. Wells, please. Well, thank you, Elena. I appreciate that. Yes, uh, I do believe that uh, we uh, need to come together as as a world, as, as a people around the world. And the way that we do that is through roundtables like this and, and through major discussions. Um, we definitely face a, a major challenge uh, around the globe right now. And we need to have some of the best thinkers, some of the best minds coming together for a think tank in order to come up with the best solutions. Um, these are not little things that, that we need to just, you know, take on a whim and say, okay, well, I can just go take care of this problem when it actually occurs. That's too late. That would be way too late on any major ca catastrophic issue such as the one that we are facing right now. Global cat catastrophe is, as uh, we've all been speaking of. So we, we've all got to come together. Alina and Alexi, in order to do this and uh, uh, having uh, this uh, roundtable and uh, the conference where we actually bring this to light in uh, hundreds of, of countries around the world where millions of people can actually see what is truly going on. This is the way that we have to go. Thank you so much. It's very inspiring. Thank you, Mr. Wells. Yeah, that's exactly what we are doing. Actually, by our actions, we are creating the electoral demand. We are bringing all people together. And of course, we address these issues to the people who are at the governments from the position that we are all human beings. We are all individuals. We are all parents and grandparents, and we all want to live on this planet. So basically, this is a question of us 
being together as humans, being together as one big family. So thank you so much, dear participants of our round table. Thank you so much, dear viewers. I would like to pass the floor to Alex. Yes, and I think that uh, uh, Christian wanted to add something uh, before we uh, sign off. Thank you very much, Alina and Alexei. Indeed, I think all the viewers should understand that it is our responsibility, and by saying ours, I mean of each and every one of us. We've seen today during this roundtable scientists, uh, politicians, um, experts in their fields, and we might get the impression, oh, yeah, they're well informed. Okay, they know what to do. They have an action plan. No, this is everybody's business. This is really everybody's business. And if you manage to watch this roundtable today and or you managed to watch the conference on July 24th, you already found out so many things about what's really happening. And it's up to us to inform everybody. Just talk to your friends, your neighbors, your family about these issues. Just as Alina mentioned, we have to create this demand, yeah, this, this demand of, of information, this demand for the truth, and this demand for action then, because it will have, have to lead to action, that we have this, this creative society, and the creative society is the only way out and the way to coordinate all the resources on Earth and to see how we can really work together and pull together all our best ideas and science and knowledge and languages and pull down all the barriers that we have today, these artificial barriers. It's really everybody's responsibility. It's really the time to, to really stand up and, and do something. And people might think, oh, I'm not a scientist. I'm not an engineer. I'm not a geologist. What can I do? Well, you can really do a lot. Just speak up. Don't be silent about these issues. Just don't now turn off after the round table and go back to your daily business. Because what we discussed today, this will impact you or it is already impacting you. And let's do something before it is too late. Because if it's too late, <laughs> then we're all doomed. But we still have a chance. We have a big chance. We need to unite all. But it's up to us to talk about this and to create this demand for the industries, for the governments, for everybody that we make this global pro project really come true. Thank you. Thank you, Christian. And um, we would like to thank our today's guests and all of the uh, viewers uh, for their active participation and supporting the Creative Society. And your contribution is really very valuable. This is indeed life-saving information that needs to be spread around the globe. So please share it with everyone you know. Just do it right now. We would like to remind you that today's roundtable was held in continuation of the conference Global Crisis. This already affects everyone held on July 24th, 2021, which was broadcast with simultaneous interpretation into 72 languages. And all of this, uh, including this roundtable, is done by volunteers from more than 180 countries. Thank you very much. And we would like to invite everyone to a new conference that will be held on the 4th of December 2021. Global crisis, time for the truth, expanding on the topic of climatic and environmental disasters. This conference will be open to participate and to watch, to comment and to ask questions to every single person on this planet. Once again, 
thanks to everyone involved in preparation, interpreting, and streaming of this roundtable and other broadcasts on all Alatra TV channels. Deep gratitude to our guests. See you at the next roundtable. Thank you so much.